welcome back to the Yobble podcast. We're slightly horrified that it's now May and the last one was in December. That reflects, um, well, a number of things, not least <laughs> that Laura went and got herself pregnant. Uh, well, deliberately. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Johnny decided he'd pursue a call to ordination, went off to his bishop's advisory panel and they said yes, which is very exciting. It is. Another one bites the dust. And, and basically we're a bit disorganised. But nonetheless, uh, I have in front of me lots of things we want to talk about. So I've got Johnny here, uh, uh, Laura, Owen. Hello. Uh, we've got coffee, we have croissants. And uh, we're going to start by just reflecting on what we've covered since Christmas, some of the highlights, some of the things we know have been helpful. Kind of a refresher, kind of an um, opportunity just to um, link it all together. So we started by looking at Isaiah, Owen. Hmm. Give us the kind of headlines from your teaching series on Isaiah. Headline number one. Uh, God enables us to speak about him. Astonishingly. Um, as he did with Isaiah. Chapter six. Have a read. A recap. Um, headline number two. The kind of whole prophetic thrust that is um, critiquing brutally critiquing, you know, our kind of religious systems and our um, ways of doing things that neglect the stuff that really matters, which is the poor and uh, recognising fellow humanity all around us and um, loving God, loving people, you know, these two things going hand in hand and... Um, yeah, the, the call back to, to that stuff, to this, to what worship really is. It's not a ritual. It's not a, um, you know, looking good or doing the right thing, saying the right thing. Actually, it's the whole shape of our lives, the, the actual values of our lives, which is where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our time? Um, is that worshipping God in that? big, true, full sense of the word. Um, there was a third part which looked at um, some of the sort of uh, groundwork ahead of Jesus, the kind of messianic expectation, hope, longing, where did that come from? Yeah, I think it was, it was just those three parts. It was great. And there was one particular couple who um, very much both at the same time felt God was really speaking through them while they were listening to you. So much so that they've rearranged all of their life plans, taking an earlier retirement um, so that they can do what God's calling them to do, which is was su super encouraging, actually. No pressure or anything, buddy, but um, super encouraging that, you know, God speaks through his written word when we preach it. So that was great. And they're really energized by that and excited by that. So that was a kind of brilliant. Uh, and I'm sure there are other stories as well. Then we asked Laura to talk about the Old Testament law in 35 minutes and to captivate us and inspire us, which she managed to do. Laura, give us a quick recap of what you said and why it's so important. Um, yeah, so I think the kind of main aim of that, uh, that Sunday and the teaching was just to make the law less scary because I think often when we read through the Old Testament, we read some of the more obscure laws um, that are given to God's people, Israel, and they're quite bizarre, hard to relate to. 
um, and obviously uh, many of them don't apply for us um, as uh, Christians today. Um, and I guess what we kind of were saying and looking at is how there's basically two kind of essences of the law, um, holiness and love, and how um, a call to be set apart as the holy people of God, as he is holy, um, uh, kind of infuses a lot of the laws that were given. Um, and then also um, a lot of the laws as well are around how we love um, others and how uh, we love God in, in doing that. Um, and uh, one of the other things that we looked at as well was that um, in the narrative of God's people being given these laws, um, it's God's grace to them in saving them um, from slavery in Egypt, which precedes any of these instructions for how to live. Um, grace precedes law, um, even in the Old Testament. Um, and it's to a people that are redeemed and loved and saved by God that he gives them these ways to live. And that grace then uh, flows through some of the specific laws that we have, um, especially perhaps um, we thought about laws um, involving kind of treatment of women um, and cleanness and uncleanness and how a lot of that, although it looks weird, um, if we put, put on kind of our grace glasses, <laughs> or whatever, we see that actually <laughs> there's grace um, in, in, in these laws, maybe um, even uh, that kind of make us be alarmed initially, um, that they're there perhaps um, to extend God's grace to his people. Yeah. Yeah, and for a lot of people that was really helpful, because I think it helped make sense of some of the stuff that's hard, and what we think looks like God being kind of angry or difficult or kind of quite different to the one that Jesus reveals actually we realize no he's he's acting within human history and he's meeting mm -hmm. humanity where it's at and it's not necessarily what God wanted ultimately but he's got to start somewhere and he's got to move them on and uh, I think we see the same then don't we in Jesus who incarnates himself into that and mm. um, continues in a more radical way what's actually modeled yeah. in the sense by what you're talking about that has implications as well, of course, for how we live, mm -hmm. which is that the church, who are called to be people of grace, not law, often quite like to make rules up. Um, mm -hmm. And we haven't done a very good job over 2,000 years of treating women the way Jesus did. I think generally we're getting better, but um, mm -hmm. one of the common oppositions people have to faith is that Christians are so legalistic and hypocritical. So there's a challenge, isn't there, for us? To, does grace precede law in our own lives, mm. in how we uh, move towards people, husbands, wives, children, one another, the world? That was good. And then uh, we did wisdom literature. We looked at three things. Uh, Johnny, can you remember what <laughs> Paul talked about in terms of Job? He talked about it's okay to have the divine... Huh? basically, the idea that we don't have all the answers and that some things just are and life's a bit rubbish but God's faithful through that and holds on to us and it's more about our position towards him than it is about what happens to us or to those we love. Yeah. yeah. It was Paul, typically brilliant. Um, I kind of took us through Ecclesiastes in one session, trying to communicate the idea that um, the writer of Ecclesiastes makes a distinction between that which is the created and that which is the uncreated, and how 
life comes from that which is beyond the sun. So there's this, there's this phrase in Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun is hevel. And it's this word vapour, it's kind of meaningless. Vapour, dust, you can't get hold of it, you can't build your life on it, it's unpredictable. But that which comes from beyond the sun is life-giving and you can build your life on that. And ultimately the writer's uh, referencing God in that respect. We now know that that's Jesus and every good gift that comes from the Father. And so we're, we're to build our life on Christ and the things of God, not the things of this world. But this idea that everything is heaven actually frees us up not to just kind of despair at life, but to hold lightly to it and not to put our trust in the wrong things and, and to not let the wrong things cripple us. Just But to be able to say, hey, it's just heaven. It's stuff. It happens. I have, um, I've been thinking about this one off the back of that and what do you think the implications are for um, things like vape stores <laughs> Owen is uh, is grinning from here to ear he's been thinking about this for a long time he's picked his moment that's my problem I'm not like quick enough with these things yeah. so they, they come in like about 30 seconds too late yeah yeah well I think it's just all meaningless yeah it's heavy the answer to everything with that phrase it's great money going up in smoke isn't it yeah pretty much yeah classic okay um swiftly moving on thanks mate actually you can talk about this then i talked about this is your payback i did song of songs in this session looking at sex and marriage sex and marriage your favorite my favorite (laughs) what marriage yeah absolutely um well, am I supposed to give give a recap? Yeah. Um, oh dear. Check you were listening. Um, what do you want me to do? You you talk about covenant versus consumer. Um, at least I've heard you talk about that before. Whether you <laughs> talked about it that week, I'm not sure. But that was very good, and very <laughs> helpful as a whole kind of approach towards our um, all our relationships, but actually carrying that through into our most meaningful. Um, uh, relationship if we are married yeah um, yeah so covenant is this we so we see in God where he makes a covenant with his people and covenant is saying to someone else I will be to you as I should be even if you are not to me as you should be to me it's, it's a two-way binding covenant commitment and it's meant to liberate us to fully live because we're safe in that and we talked about how sex actually is a, effectively a, um, a ritual between a man and a woman that both consummates that covenant, so, so makes it real and fully tangible and, and permanent for the first time, and then um, is an ongoing kind of covenant recommitment ritual. So you renew your covenant each time you make love to your husband or wife. And, and all of that is within the light of uh, this realization that um, there is uh, our earthly marriages are and weddings and therefore sex within that are actually all something that point to the true wedding between the real bride and the real bridegroom Christ and the church that's yet to happen but will happen and where there'll be consummation of that when Christ returns um, and the fulfillment of God's covenant with his people and which is why there'll be no marriage in heaven and no sex in heaven because we won't need it that was basically it. And I think um, the phrase that Jesus therefore is enough for us was really um, helpful for that idea. And I know that for a lot of people in the church um, who uh, have um, 
particular, um, you know, uh, different issues within this area um, maybe um, are, are struggling mm. um, to, to have the invitation that actually Jesus um, is the one who satisfies us and, and actually is, is ultimately enough for each one of us, um, wherever, we're, wherever we're at in all of this. Um, that was, I remember that as a helpful, yeah. helpful moment. Good. Then we tackled Mark's gospel in the run-up to Jesus. I mean, the run-up to Jesus, the run-up to Easter. <laughs> um, but, yeah, which was, um, in a sense, we, what we were trying to do there is locate Christ in the narrative of Scripture that we've been reading through um, as a church and all the stuff that we've just covered. And so we've revisited some um, aspects of the, the personality, the person, the power of Jesus that we've probably looked at before, but hopefully gave people fresh insight and that led us all up to Easter Sunday, where we got to celebrate again this kind of the truth of resurrection that, that actually f- makes sense of everything that's gone before and ushers in everything that's still to come, um, which I, I think it's been helpful. Along the way, we've had a couple of lectures. Michael Layden, um, I wasn't able to get to that, but I hear that was brilliant. It was class. I'm sort of the, um, from my point of view, it was like this lesson in how to teach. It was just this consumer teacher guy so it was um, inspiring on different levels you know, great things to say about um, how we approach biblical ethics that is you know the stuff of actually how do we live um, as we look at our lives in this story and seek to be true to this um, the God of this story and um, that was really helpful but just on a kind of um, he obviously knew his stuff so he's, he's just brilliant. We filmed it all, so you can watch it. Yeah, it's great. online. Uh, similarly, you haven't Dad, watched it yet, Rich. Uh, no. Have you watched it yet, Laura? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we were at the other lecture. Yeah, but uh, Laura and I hosted Dan Haynes. Well, Laura hosted Dan brilliantly, and I just got to sit and listen from Oxford, who similarly was extraordinary yeah. at talking about the atonement and tackled one particular lens um, or way of understanding the atonement. What what Christ achieves on the cross. And again, if you haven't heard that, it's online. We did have a third lecture in that series. What was the other one? Oh, yeah. That was the one that no one came to. Was that, is that your workshop? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, three people came. Three people came. Yeah. 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 Three people. And they loved it. Well, we, that's because we didn't do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you went to the pub. <laughs> oh. You, do you need some prayer for that? Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just hevel. Counselling session. Yeah. It's all hevel. There yeah. we are. Yeah. 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 Jesus is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't put a full stop too soon. I brought a bottle of whiskey as a prop. Did you? Didn't get to reference that, yeah. yeah. I can't remember what the point was. Despair is not an option. Okay. Non-chill filtered, that was my point. Non-chill filtered. Good whiskey is non-chill filtered. And yeah. the point was um, how the Psalms are like non-chill filtered. Isn't that great? I love it. And the value is in like the little... Oh, that, that is a, that is so that's good. the that's workshop in two minutes. Yeah, yeah you brilliant. It. Oh. Great. Epic. We all went to that then. Um, classic. <laughs> Now, you might be listening this, listening to this today, because um, it's going to go up this afternoon, probably, looking yes. at Johnny. And on Wednesday night, we have the Bishop of Worcester, no less, coming on Wednesday night. Johnny's feeling under pressure now. I'll have to now. Yeah. Um, for the first lecture in this term, uh, which we'd love you to come to. Okay, real quick then, just to finish, a couple of questions have come in, and I'm looking at my resident experts for some answers. The first question, well, both came in from Hudson, actually. The first question was on Daniel. What was the question, Owen? Oh, 
uh, he's really so well in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about Laura's um, got the it dating of Daniel. Wait, wait, Laura's got it. Laura's well, got it. Read out. The, it was a really good question, so we probably should do, do it I justice think. by reading it. Even if we don't yeah, do it justice it in the answer, we can read out the question. Here's the question. Okay, here we go. Um, the question is about Daniel. I'd always understood that it was written about 500 years BC and tells the story of Daniel and his friends in Babylon. However, around 10 years ago at All Saints, I heard it was written just 150 years BC and was aimed at the occupying power at the time. When I checked uh, with a few other people, they confirmed this view and said the majority of biblical scholars, including evangelicals, would go for the more recent dates. The question then arises though, how do we approach it? Was there a real Daniel? Did those stories happen? Is it true myth like early Genesis? Ooh. Johnny's got all kind of like excited. He's ready. He's like a prowling lion ready to answer that question. Go on. Is um, well, my personal take on it is that it is the later dating, so more towards Jesus' time than Old Testament. Doesn't really change too much because it's. A, I I would class it as a true myth, not to the extent of say Genesis one to eleven, because that is definitely mythological. This is trying to explain a truth for Israel, and trying to re-establish them within the post-exilic world. So they're under occupation. They technically have like even though they came out of exile, they were still under rule of other people. So this kind of shows. It's a story to show God's with them throughout the whole of that period and time. And it's to keep them grounded. I don't think, personally, Daniel... Well, to be honest, it doesn't matter if he was real or not. It's genuinely irrelevant because they didn't talk about truth and reality and stories in the same way we do in the post-Enlightenment era. They had stories to communicate truth rather than trying to say, this is fact. So it, facts, facts are misnomer. That's, that's the way I'll go with it. There, so that was just... Off the top of his head, no prep that this question was coming very well. Very well done, Johnny. You have things to say. Um, I have, however, uh, done a little brief sketching around this um, uh, thought-provoking question. And, um, and it seems there was a Daniel in that, um, uh, well, who's referenced in other parts. So Ezekiel, who's um, very much historically situated within this event of exile to Babylon, is references um, uh, a Daniel figure elsewhere um, it, it crops up and it, and it was this kind of like ideal character um, in some other places and Ezekiel seems to be referenced as a um, historical dude um, the that doesn't really answer the question at all um, in fact it kind of in my view actually I'd agree with Johnny that of this of this later date, um, agree with most people. Uh, the difficulties come when you when you kind of load that observation then with saying that um, you know that that it's somehow disingenuous or that um, it's it's trying to present itself as uh, this sort of um, you know tight historical account. Um, the uh, the Perhaps the most compelling reason for dating it later is that you've got this very specific prophecy, which is where then people get 
annoyed at um, or put out at the later date because they, they think you're questioning, um, you know, the power of God to to predict um, or to, to prophesy to say this is how this is what's going to happen, um, and and because it's very specific, it, but it's unusually specific within you know some of the other prophetic literature that says actually judgment is coming to. Um, the northern kingdom what judgment is coming to Jerusalem and, and then it does and um, it's it's of a different nature um, the the prophecy um, that's presented as, as prophecy in in Daniel but and, it, and it's spot on and it's spot on and it's spot on until the end and then the, the last couple few details are wrong um, you know according to the historical record which then suggests that it's, that's where it was written <laughs> that it actually is is providing this commentary on some of these events and, and filling out this theological meaning whilst attaching it to these stories about Daniel that um, existed before that compiler is making that commentary. So whether those, have, you know, to what extent those stories about a guy called Daniel living amongst the exile um, are based on actual events, um, you know, I'd like to think there was some of that, but you just don't know, and, and that's okay, <laughs> I think. Um, but the the um, but that's an interesting dating point. So, you know, yes, God's absolutely able to predict all these details, um, but the but he got the last ones wrong? <laughs> or, you know, does it... So that, to me, is... is anti writer groups, anyway. So that's, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what does that change how you approach it? I, I don't think it need change an awful lot. And it does give you interesting window. It does mean that you could approach it because um, you know, that dating makes Daniel the, the most recent part of the Hebrew scriptures. So it does give you then a fascinating window on the thoughts around resurrection, um, Messiah, um, that was there you know, just 150, 200 years before Jesus. Mm. It, was, it was definitely more than 150 years because it was being referenced by other people around then. But you go back to 200 years and it's not being referenced by other people who are referencing all the rest of the scriptures as well. So, I'd say it's strengthened as well by a later date because if the idea of prophecy in the Old Testament, we, we kind of have this New Testament idea of prophecy of like long-term fortune-telling almost and you know, part of our culture in Christianity. The Old Testament, if a prophecy didn't happen within the immediate generation, it was classed as a false prophecy. Like they expected things to happen. So some of the stuff in Daniel we can interpret it as like long term, like two thousand years later kind of prophecy. It's actually unhelpful, I think, and disrespectful to the text almost. So yeah, it's to have it at a later date and some of the stuff that it talks about in terms mm. of Messiah and things it actually strengthens that idea that they're talking about something that's imminent. Mm. Without wanting to limit the uh, you know spirit of God's um what it could do and load in and um yeah course to jump out at us and, yeah great the other question was good are we doing that one now we are it's got laura's name next to it uh, again from hudson <laughs> so hudson up? was asking about the end of mark's gospel and if you turn to your english translations you'll see a bit in brackets and it seems that the um the well a load of the earliest manuscripts don't have the last bit um so it would otherwise finish uh, what's the last line that the women had? Um, um, they said nothing to anyone. They just discovered they the empty afraid. tomb. <laughs> they said nothing to anyone, and they were afraid. 
far from the end to Matthew's gospel, which is, um, and now go into the world and tell everyone. Uh, so what do we do with the last two or three paragraphs of Mark? What does this mean? Look, I'm no expert in this, and I'm just kind of, um, I have thought about it before, um, when I've read this um, in Mark and heard a few different people, so I'm just kind of regurgitating um, stuff I've heard or um, read. But um, I think first up, we have to say that there is some, uh, there is a question mark around it. So you've got some, um, uh, you know, some manuscripts and probably the most well attested ones don't have um, verses nine through twenty of Mark sixteen. Um, but then we do have. Um, uh, apparently, um, some uh, like a few of the um, early uh, manuscripts, apparently known as A, C, and D, um, which do have it. Um, and you've got some early church uh, fathers who seem to not know that it exists, and then others um, like uh, Irenaeus who um, says that it does. Um, so it's a bit of a tricky one in that um, we're not entirely sure. Um, I think probably in feel, it does feel a little bit different to the rest of Mark's gospel, um, uh, the kind of style of language, um, if you have a read of it, um, does, when you're reading it, feel a bit like a, a bit of an adjustment. Mm. Um, and that makes me wonder whether it was penned by Mark or whether it is um, part of his, um, his gospel writing or whether... Um, it was added. Um, I, I think, think the manuscripts evidence would be pretty clear that it's not part of the original. And there is this um, the question, in, the interesting question in my mind, I think, is whether it's whether it stopped, whether and they were afraid and was Mark's like dramatic, unfinished ending to the gospel, or whether there was an original ending that got torn off. I've heard someone say that it's quite. Um, that they quite like imagining that and that actually Mark's point in such a kind of staccato, abrupt, like truncated ending is that the invitation is to us to, uh, to, to as it were, finish off the gospel. Yeah. In, and someone because, did. <laughs> yeah, someone finished off by talking about poisonous snakes and, yeah. no, snakes and yeah, Someone misunderstood um, that. <laughs> He's like, go live it, go write the rest of the gospel. And they're like, all right then, I've got another page. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but the stuff that it says as well, you know, some of the slightly more like, oh wow, here's a command, go pick up a poisonous snake and drink deadly poison, you know, and you won't be harmed. Um, it, it is perhaps a little bit like, hold on a second, where's all this coming? Um, but actually the kind of point of all of that is that there is this um, uh, there is this promise of um, I guess protection that we have in other parts um, of scripture as well, um, and that actually um, we are to kind of uh, not advocating that we go and drink poison or pick up serpents, but that there is um, risk involved um, yeah. and uh, in in following um, Jesus and um, and yeah that the exact specifics. <laughs> this end bit manuscript has in terms of snakes and poison you know we'd all want to kind of wonder about but the general theological principles um and i i think um as well just going back to daniel 
for a second that that's kind of what we're always doing as well when we're saying you know does this change how we approach a text if we have moments of going is this historically reliable you know is actually what we're what we're doing is saying what we do know about Daniel what we do know about Mark is xyz you know we know historically this we know there was you know Nebuchadnezzar kings we we know that God's people were at some point in exile in Babylon we know that it's very likely that there would have been those amongst God's people who would have taken a stand um the other you know bigger theological things about them um you know them taking a stand and uh, being punished and uh, all of the you know there are these general things and um that's kind of sometimes what helps me I think not panic and go hold on a second like what's reliable do I have to how much crumbles down here um and the same with this at the end of Mark's gospel not going oh you know panic um oh no there's a question mark over it but actually saying okay general principle here is um you know there is a in terms of ancient literature there is an awful lot that suggests that what we have um of the gospel accounts is incredibly incredibly well attested and reliable um okay there's this little patch at the end of mark what do we do with it well what are some of the general principles and then what is a nice little you know invitation well let's go finish the gospel mm. yourselves church go and live it out don't be afraid i think the these bits are absolutely fascinating and they're kind of writ large. If you look at the sort of formation of our English Bibles, our English translations that are so not um, infallible, yeah. <laughs> and anyone involved with that kind of infallible doctrine is certainly not attached to our English translations. It's, it's always phrased in the kind of as it was originally given, um, which raises a whole other <laughs> questions as well. But I mean, if you look at John's Gospel, you have the similar thing going on beginning of chapter 8 with the the woman caught in adultery and again absolutely fascinating to think about these texts as they began life that you know presumably an early scribe um, you know one of the first followers of Jesus who's copying out this to send it somewhere else is like hang on a minute he hasn't said that one about that's the one about the woman caught in adultery and it's so good and if they don't get it you know, this is how it's going to be remembered if it's going to be remembered. So let's, where can it go? <laughs> I just put it in there. Um, it seems that's that's kind of where it um, happened, at least in that guy's imagination. Mm. He's heard the Jesus stories from yeah. around the camp when he's put it in, and it's just right. fascinating. It's Coming back then, just real quick to your little point there, the spontaneous sermon that we got from Laura. <laughs> we always get one. We know it. We always know we'll get it. I thought oh, that was a brilliant, cat. brilliant thing just to finish <laughs> on, which is I, I'm with you on Mark. I think if you read read Mark, he is like it's the action thriller version of the gospel, and I, I'm I'm convinced that he he did finish it where he did, and someone's added a bit on, and he did he did want us to literally go okay now what and ask that question, and someone has tried to kind of tidy it up a little bit. Can you imagine um, if you're Mark? Mark's probably like oh. <laughs> I would hate that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you would. But, not touch my heart. but all of, <laughs> of Yobble is about us being the people of the word who go on and actually go live it out in the world. So that is a good place to end this podcast. There will be another one sooner than <laughs> this time came. But can we cue exit music, yes. please? Oh. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>